You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. You're listening to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for subscribing on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. Special guest joins me on the show today. He's been with the Miami Heat organization for three decades now. He's the director of college and pro scouting and the assistant general manager of the Sioux Falls Sky Force. I'm joined by none other than Keith Askins. Keith, how are you doing, first and foremost? I'm doing well. Good morning. Excellent. It, this is uh, an honor. Uh, I mean, you're one of the uh, original Heat lifers. You were one of the, the players that has, I think, really helped define culture so much. And so this is a... Uh, I'm glad to be able to finally be able to have you on the show and to get your perspective on what it's like to be with an organization for 30 years. And uh, you've been part of this team through its ups and downs, and you've, you've seen it all, basically. You've been there from almost the beginning, considering the, the franchise started in 1988. Yeah, so I've been there. You know, um, you know I, I'm really fortunate and blessed to, uh, to work with and I never like and as long as I've been there I never thought I worked for anyone I've worked with some great people um you know I I, I can't can't be can't start this without saying thank you to uh Mr. Stu Emman may rest in peace as well as uh coach Ron Rothstein and you know uh Louis Chaffel and Billy Cunningham for giving me an opportunity to uh to come down and and perhaps uh and, and try and play professional basketball you know my agent at the time um he's actually he was the only agent I ever had was Norman Blass and I never even dreamt of playing professional basketball and Wimp calls me into the office after the draft and says um I got an agent that thinks you might be able to play uh, professionally and he wants to send you down to Miami because they need someone like you and I said well I have nothing to lose let's give it a shot and 30 years 30 years uh, later here I am now, that's unbelievable to me because, I mean, you, you've – well, you come from a, a relatively small town. Is that fair in, in saying that Athens, Alabama is a, a smallish town? Yes, it's a, it's a small town. I think at the time it was probably 18,000 people in the in the uh, town when I was growing up. Yeah, it's, it's slightly more than that now. I looked it up. It's a 26,000 population. Yeah. So it's yeah, not – Yeah, it's, um, it's um, you know, it's a, it's a great – it's a great, great little town. Um very uh religious oriented um you know and it's a lot family oriented all my family is still in the area today uh unfortunately i don't get back as much but i i still have fun memories and everything you know that i that i'm i've accomplished now comes from learning from back home and and so you 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 were obviously a great high school player uh you've been recognized by the Limestone County uh, Hall of Fame there. So, I mean, obviously they recognize that your, your achievements in basketball have been pretty phenomenal. But what was that recruiting process like coming from a smallish town like Athens? I mean, well, um, I actually were – I started getting recruited by – the first person that tried to recruit me was um, – he was Coach Myers at David Lipscomb. Um, and I went there with a buddy, with a teammate of mine for, for a camp. I think it was my junior year. And I went there for a camp going into my senior year. And, you know, they, they wanted me to come there. And at the time, uh, David Lipscomb was a, uh, NAIA program and, uh, and it's a religious school. So it was, it was heavy into religion and, 
Coach Myers was all about fundamentals. I mean, at his camp, you know, there was no dunking allowed in the gym. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was it was it was kind of funny because we, uh, my buddy and I, pretty athletic kids. So we were still dunking. We just weren't we weren't touching the rim. So it was <laughs> it was it was funny. Um, you know, then I had smaller schools like uh, UNA and you know Fisk and you know smaller smaller programs and. All of a sudden, uh, there's an Alabama alumnus uh, that lives uh, in the area still this day, uh, Mr. Glenn Tubb, who actually had uh, Wimp come up to see me. He got in touch with the program, and Wimp came up to see me. And I think I had one of the worst games I ever played. But, you know, I still my athleticism and my energy level intrigued Wimp, I guess. And I go down to – I never took a visit there. Um, and, and just to clarify, Wimp is Wimp Sanderson. That Wimp was the Sanderson, head coach. Yes. Yes. He's Sanderson. the head coach at the University of Alabama yeah. men's basketball team. Wimp Sanderson and um, Coach uh, Rick Barnes was the assistant coach. He was the lead on the on the uh, recruiting process at the time. Was an assistant coach there. He's now the head coach of Tennessee. Um, and so I go into the state tournament, and you know, I have you know, I have one of those games where you know I was rebounding, scoring, blocking shots. And, and by, the end of, by the end of that tournament, I had every – I think I probably had every school in the South wanting me to come there. But, uh, you know, it's ever since I was a little kid, I've always been an Alabama fan. And when Wimp, you know, offered me a scholarship, you know, I, it, was, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, I'll never forget the words he told me. He said, son, he said, I'm not going to guarantee you that you'll play but what i will guarantee is that i'll give you an opportunity to earn playing time and i give you an opportunity to get an education and that right there sold me and i said i'm in <laughs> yeah and what was it that you studied at alabama uh marketing marketing okay because yeah. I, I remember reading that uh or maybe it was listening to you explain that you had other job opportunities that were gonna you know you were gonna look to yeah. explore because you never really considered the right, nba yeah. a possibility you had so, other jobs lined up out of college right no well you know i was actually one class away i was i was pretty much on time to to graduate using summers to uh to finish classes after uh after school year and so i was working on one class uh before the before the professional basketball process started so I was I was contemplating. Well, you know, I know I have an opportunity to, because uh, I was one of those kids that had already began, you know, to do a resume, and I was wearing the blue sport coat and you know, and khakis and penny loafers, working my way towards getting into some type of corporation as well as considering law school. And um, you know, when this opportunity came up, Wim said, "Hey, what do you have to lose? I mean, you can always you always got something to fall back on." And I said, you know, you're right. And so he connected me with Norman. And through Norman, I met my financial advisor, whom I consider to be like a father to me, Mr. Billy Wilcoxon. We, we agreed on a handshake. Uh, he loaned me $500. And I, I went to Miami. I went to Miami with $500 and a footlocker. And, uh, and thank God I'm still doing okay to this day with the organization. Do you ever pay back the $500? You know, it's, you know, it's, it's actually funny. We, we never, I think he did get his 500 back, but I think it was just in fees. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a good man. We, we started our, our relationship on a handshake 
And, um, you know, for 30 years, we've been, he's been like a father to me. And it's, you know, the more players I talk to, it seems like it's so important, no matter what era you come from, to have the right circle around you, people that are looking out for your best interest, because that can go very ugly very quickly if you have people that are trying to exploit you for their own benefit. So it sounds yeah. like you had a good group around you. Well, I had a very good group around me, and, and I do till this day. And, you know, the thing about it is the, the breakdown of the money. And once they break, once it's broken down to you, you know, people see, but this guy, he signed a, a million dollar contract or he signed a $10 million contract. They, they don't understand 40% of that is gone right. from, uh, from, uh, to the government. I, I'll never forget. Someone was looking at his check stuff. He said, who, who was FICA? <laughs> <laughs> One of the guys, you know, I was, you know, we're coming in as rookies and, you know, he see his first pay stub and he's like, Eh, who is FICA? And I'm like, well, <laughs> they're gonna keep getting their money, man. Yeah, yeah. Get you used know? to it. He's gonna be there for a while. So. And then you know you and and see that's the importance of today. And you think about it when you got that financial breakdown of this money when you got the government and you got kids wanting wanting to take care of their mom and then their family members that come up out of the blue and everybody has their hand out. Right. You know, it's kind of like. Um, you know, I, I use the uh, analogy of a tree and, you know, you, you bear the tree bears fruit, but if you don't, you don't have anyone, you know, cleaning the roots and, and making sure there's no weeds around the, the base and they're, they're putting fertilizer on it, it, it'll, it'll continue to bloom. But if you got people just, you got someone just taking the fruit off the tree and not, and not helping it grow, right. then eventually it's going to be bare. So that's the analogy that I always use when I tell kids about this. You're going to have people around you that's helping you bear fruit instead of, instead of people just picking fruit from you all the time. So in 1990, you come down to Miami with that Foot Locker, and, and basically you're invited to training camp. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I came in. I came in for the rookie camp. Uh, we played our rookie. We had a summer league in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and then I was later invited back to vet camp, and um, that's where it all started. You know, we, um, you know, I, I, the the thing about vet camp is that I'd never seen such big men like you know like Rowinski. Uh, I forget his first name, but that, he was such a big man. I mean, he, he looked like he could have been a defensive end, mm. you know, but he was so big. And then, you know, I was here with Alan Ogg, may he rest in peace. Uh, and I had Alec Kessler, may he rest in peace. Uh, Willie Burden, who who was probably, you know, one of the, one of the most gifted players that I'd ever had to try and guard on a daily basis. And then I got to go against Glenn Rice every day. And so – you know, Kevin Edwards, who was, who was, uh, you know, slasher type and, and, you know, I, I credit him a lot for, you know, teaching me, you know, the, you know, how to be a pro, not only on the court, but off, you know, like taking care of the waitresses and, and waiters, waiters and going to, you know, nice restaurants and enjoying, enjoying and, and began a quality life that, you know, you're working hard for it. And, you know, you, sometimes you got to, you gotta, you gotta enjoy, and you know I learned a lot through him in that way. 
At Alabama, were you uh, a three and D type player the way that your pro career played out, or you were allowed to be a little bit more versatile as far as your scoring is concerned, yeah, right? Pretty much, pretty much. I was, that's who I, I've been that way ever since high school. I mean, you know, well, I'll go back to my going to my senior year. I was a junior and, and I'm playing against a starting point guard. We're playing pickup at this court we call, uh, so high school, Trinity High School. It was, uh, you know, right before segregation, it was uh, it was all black school, and now it's like a um, it's actually a you know historical landmark in, oh. in Athens. Um, we used to play there. They put a court there for us, and we used to play there every day. I mean, you ride up with your with your boys from your neighborhood, you get next, and you play as long as you could. So one day, my neighborhood, we're playing, and we're going up against my starting point guard at the time. He was starting point guard. He was starting quarterback for the high school. So, you know, his chest always stuck out. And, you know, I'm guarding him, and he falls. And, you know, next thing he tells me, all right, you do that again, uh, just, just watch what happens. And, you know, I'm into him, and I'm probably one of the few guys that's guarding people. You know, I like guarding you on the playground. I, I mean, I'm into him. And he slips and falls again. And as soon as he falls, you know, my neighbor, my my team stood around me and kept his team kept his team off of me while I had to take care of my business with him. Oh. You know, <laughs> the next the next day and next day the coach calls me and say, "I heard you got into a little. I heard you got into it a little bit." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, you know, it happens." And so that it's it's carried with me. Alabama, I you know we played a um, a uh, zone. We we played man to man a lot, so I had to guard. You know, I guarded Chris Jackson. Now, uh, excuse me, Mahmoud Abdul-Rahoud, formerly Chris Jackson. Sure. Allen Houston, uh, the Dyron Knicks. You know, the list goes on. I guarded everyone in the SEC that could score, and I enjoyed it. Uh, Coach Sanderson and Coach David Hobbs, they put me up at the top of this zone in which we call the drop zone. And, and what I did, I covered the top of the key to the block on both sides. So wherever the ball went, I just I just covered the, the lane, and so it, it it was really fun. Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of players are are happy or content with being. You know, it's it's not like it's a bad thing. We we kind of use the term role players now somewhat negatively, but the reality is that everybody at any level has to play a role. It's just whether or not it's a high scoring one or a high rebounding one. You just happen to be a versatile defender and and a guy who could shoot the ball as well. Right. Well, well, you know, when you're building a team, um, and and it, and it's still true, you wanna you wanna put guys together that complement each other. Right. You yeah. It'll it'll be great if you had everyone that can score the ball. But if everyone can score and they don't have and you don't have anyone with the mindset of uh, being able to score defensively, and that's that's how I you know I didn't score a lot of points, but I kept a lot of guys from scoring a lot of points. So I took whatever I took off their average. I added it to what I scored, and so I may score two points, and I'm guarding a guy that's averaging 30. If I cut him down to 15, that means I scored 17 points that night. <laughs> a good so way that, of looking at it, yeah. That's the, way, that's the way I always looked at it. And so it became a challenge to, uh, to try and, and, and keep guys under the average. And, you know, because I – and I, that's just the way I kept my score. I never – you know, I have twin boys now, seven years old, and they're big basketball junkies. I mean, they they do more research than I do. And, um, you know, it's like, Bobby, you didn't score a lot of points. I said, no, but I tried to keep other guys from scoring a lot of points. <laughs> 
So, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, and, and on a team like you know, when you join a team with with Willie Burton, Kevin Edwards, and and Glenn, you know, obviously that's a, a lot of scoring already. So you needed to go in there and compliment those players, and you did a, a phenomenal job of that. Well, you know, and 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 I forgive me for not mentioning my my closest friend during that time was Bimbo Coles, and we still sure. close this day. And he, you know, he had a scorer's mindset, but he also really enjoyed defending. So he and I became really close because we were always on the second team. And uh, you know we took we took we took pride in the challenge of trying to uh, to defend you know Sherman and Glenn. I mean it it couldn't do anything to make them better as well as make us better. So right. and I think overall it it did that. Yeah, not no doubt. So so you joined the team in 1990. It's in its third year, and, and I'm kind of curious because I wasn't really following the team very closely. Although my dad from South Florida. He actually had season tickets to the inaugural year of the Miami Heat organization there, mostly because he was a huge Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fan and he wanted to see him in his retirement year. But, okay. he, uh, you know, I, I, the team, it just felt like it wasn't a really complete group and you were just still trying to earn your way into the NBA. And I'm kind of curious about what the vibe was like from an expansion perspective because, you know, you were one of – four teams that came into the league right around the same time, including the, the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. But this was a group of, of talented players and, and a pretty good group, but you still weren't able to win a lot. What was that like in the, entering that third season with the expectations that you would continue to get better? Well, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the challenge of getting better and, and competing. Uh, you're talking about you know, a relatively young team going against some some very talented and experienced veterans. And, you know, every day you go out there, the only thing you're trying to do is, one, play, play hard and play together and, and execute the game plan. And if, and if that's not good enough, then you come back the next day. The only, the only time you ever feel bad about yourself is that, you know, you feel bad about your performance if someone tells you you didn't play hard. Right. You can play a basketball game and play hard and still lose. But you can't go out and lose and not give the effort and not and and when I say giving the effort, you got to give the effort, not only physically but mentally. And if you can't do those two things, you know you you're not going to win. And for the most part, every night we came out with the attitude that we had a chance to win. Um, that was the only thing that we wanted to do. We had a, we gave ourselves a chance to win every night. Did we do it? No, but it was really fun and. <clears throat> Coach Rothstein was amazing in pushing us and, and teaching us. Not only, you know, he was teaching us how to be professionals and, and how, to, uh, to how to have a career and what you need to do. And not only Coach Rothstein, but you know, his assistant coaches at the time, Dave Wool and um, Tony Farentino, who became instrumental in my uh, development, uh, were very good. I mean, they were, they were very good teachers. I mean, when you think about Ronnie Cycli, you, you, you know, uh, there was only one other big man in the league I would say had better feet than Ronnie, and that was Hakeem. Ronnie had some really good feet, and you know he had good hands, and he could—I mean—he was one of the better centers in the league. And it was, you know, it was fun to 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 watch him and be a part of him. I mean, you know, for me being a country boy from Alabama, you know, meeting, you know, playing with with Ronnie and and all the all these veterans that I, I had a chance to befriend, it was. It was it was it was special, and you know we didn't win a lot, but I think we won a lot off the court by learning how to be a professional and 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 taking the pro game.
certainly weren't intimidated even by these bigger names, guys like Cycli who played at Syracuse and, and Glenn who won a championship at Michigan. I, I remember hearing a story from Rothstein where he, he talked about, uh, you know, that 1990 season, your rookie year, and after a particularly bad loss, he was going to say something to the team, and instead you stepped up and you addressed the team. Is that is that story true? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, it's true. You know, I've been I've been a captain, you know, pretty much all my life. I, you know, I grew up I grew up, uh, you know, without a father. So I I've actually been in a leadership position since I was say six years old. <laughs> so I've always been a person that, you know, I I I. I re- I respect authority, and um, you know when when I'm out competing, I expect everyone else to compete in a, in a certain way. Uh, you know, I've always learned that there's there's no excuses. I mean, you, you know, what's the difference between an excuse and a reason? You know, it's it's you can debate that one all day. Right. And so I um, I just took the approach, you know, that hey, if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it hard. And there's no blame. I mean, there's no blame on one person in a team loss. You know, we, you win together, you lose together. And in order to succeed from the get-go, the team must understand that. What, what did you tell everybody? You kind of ripped into them a little bit, I imagine. You know, I, I, can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. But it had to be along the lines of, you know, just one going out, of, going out and, and executing a game plan and, and, and playing hard, playing together. I mean, if you don't do those three things in a team sport, you're not going to win. Yeah. yeah. I'm Simple sure you probably use a little bit more colorful language at the time, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, so in 1991, then Rothstein retires after three years with the club and Kevin Lockery comes in. What, what were your feelings about Lockery? I mean, a former player, probably known for being somewhat of a, a hard-nosed guy, did you did he have a reputation around the league? Did you know what to expect when he joined the 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 Heat as a coach? You know, I didn't. I didn't because you know I I I was never I was not a player that that really followed and studied the game. I mean, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I was just doing this because I really enjoyed playing basketball, and someone told me, you know, you may have a shot to play. So now, as I've gotten myself, I got my foot in the door, and I'm still. I'm still trying to make it. I, you know, I, I played my first five years on a non-guaranteed contract. Yeah. So when I met Coach, when Coach Lockery came in, you know, he was, yeah, I'd say Lockery was probably one of the, he was one of the easier coaches to play for because all he wanted you to do, just go out and play hard and play together. And, and like I said, execute the game plan. I mean, if you play, you play well, you win, you know, you'll, you may have a day off the next day. You know, I, I think he was into um, he was into management. Uh, what's 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 the term they use now? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, load management. Load management. He was in turn. He was he was he was way ahead of load mat in, in the terms of load management. Well, being uh, a former player, he understood the wear and tear. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was very fun to play for. Me. I enjoyed it. I mean, I actually got in. I actually started playing golf during that time. He was the head coach. You know, he. He he enjoyed his golf game. You know, Coach Bob Stack and Alvin Gentry. They were they were they were good. I mean, good spirits and good basketball minds. And you know, they they enjoyed they enjoyed life off the court as well. I mean, like I said, you know, all of us played golf together. They would tee off, and and we would be right behind them 
And, you know, we weren't very good golfers. Lockery actually told me one time I needed a dump truck to follow me for my divots. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he was, he had all the tricks, coaching tricks. You know, you, I know people recall, um, you know, Jay, uh, What's his name? Uh, Jason Kidd, when he tried to throw the water on the court to get get an extra timeout. Right. That's, that's one of Lockery's old tricks where, uh, you know, we're in a timeout, cup falls, and, you know, he said, wait, wait, just wait. You know, we'll we'll go through it, and then when we finish our, our time, our meeting, you know, the timeout, hey, ref, there's water on the floor. <laughs> Clean it up. You know, he gets you extra time that way, you know. So he had a he had a real good sense of how to, I guess I would say he he really knew how to uh, to manipulate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was the difference that first year that you were actually able to make some pretty substantial improvement and actually make the the playoffs for the first time in franchise history? Was there anything that really seemed to click, or was just a matter of natural evolution as players finally kind of starting to get a little bit more comfortable? And by that point, you had guys that were already in their third, fourth year. You were in your second year. But what was it? What was the, the 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 process of entering the playoffs for the first time? Well, the influx of talent. I mean, we uh, the rookies had we've gotten uh, we've gotten some experience, and we knew what the league was. We knew what we were doing in the league a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, we added talent. Steve Smith came along. Right. Um, I think Brian Shaw was that the year. Brian was with us as well. He was, yeah. Yeah, you traded. I guess you traded Sherman at, at Douglas at some point yeah. that year too. Yeah, yeah. So they we got bigger, and um, you know we added talent, and, and um, you know guys enjoy playing with one another. Do you remember anything about making the playoffs that first year? Um, is that the year we were swept by Chicago? <laughs> yeah, that happened a couple times. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the first one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the year yeah. where you faced. Uh, well, I mean, it was. Jordan was on his way to the first, his second championship, so right. yeah, that's pretty it was, understandable. It was, uh, it was good for the city, man. It was good for the organization. I mean, we, we were showing growth. Um, and I think that, that, that made us – that actually put us, I think, as what the first uh, – I think we could have – was possibly the first uh, expansion team to make the playoffs. You were, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were, we were, we were, we were showing strides and we were improving. And that's all you want to do as as a team show improvement, and we were doing that. Well, a couple of years later, then another former player turned coach joins the organization. That's Pat Riley. A little different, I would imagine, than uh, Kevin Lockery. Uh, Riley comes over, and you know, obviously, he has uh, some success with the Knicks, and you know about his time with the Los Angeles yeah. Lakers. You've mentioned before about you know the understanding that he had uh, a commitment to conditioning, and that's probably putting it a little mildly. What was the reputation like? I mean, as players, obviously, you guys talk to one another. How? What was Riley's reputation uh, around the league? And and when you heard that he was joining the team, what were your your immediate thoughts about that? Well, you know, I I was excited. You know, I was. I mean, anytime you get a chance to play for for a championship coach, and he has a history and a and a record of winning right. you, you feel like you got a chance and um you know I just remember going against his teams they were physical they were well prepared and and they were they were nasty and they were tough and and that mantra that was that was an exciting mantra to to have an opportunity to be to be a part of um you know when he first got there that conditioning program the conditioning regiment you're talking about 
you know, that's, that's something that had, even though you're in, you know, what, what we like to call world-class condition, you, there's always a, another level that he was seeking. Um, so before that first training camp, you know, it was, you better be in shape. I mean, the letter, the letter that you got uh, that summer when he, he became the coach is that, you know, be, he gave us a program, he said, be ready to do this when, when camp opens. And those that weren't ready, they didn't last. <laughs> you know, I, I like to say I was ready for it. And, um, you know, the thing I always prided myself on was being low maintenance and making sure I was, you know, in a position to compete on a daily basis. Now, I end up getting banged up and injured later on. But throughout my five years of non-guaranteed contracts, you know, I played for five years with a torn rotator cuff and torn ligaments in my wrist. So, you know, with that being said, you know, a conditioning, being in condition was not a problem for me. Um, I was ready to take on anything that he was going to throw at me. If he would tell me, and, and to this day, and I'll, I'll say it, I'll tell anyone, you know, I, I have so much respect for him that, I I will I will I will not stand for anyone to to say anything bad about him to me, um, or or if I'm around I I don't want to hear any negative talk about him because um, you know <clears throat> and it kind of leads in today in today's society where you know people people will put everyone in the same basket as far as being a good person a bad person. And you know he played in a he played in a very important game and in and sports in general when he played against Texas Western. Right. And um, you know if you know when you got to perceive a five black going against five white, you're gonna think there's some some tension, and I'm pretty sure it was. But you can't you can't judge everyone by the actions of one. And with him and with him being part of that, that group and playing for Rupp, who had, you know, I, I think uh, if you go back to history, you probably think Rupp had a, had a history of being, um, you know, I don't want to call him that, but, you know, it just wasn't, he had a team of, he had a team of all, all uh, Caucasian. And, right. you know, I don't know if at the time there wasn't, there, there weren't a lot of blacks in the FCC. So. You, you don't know. I don't know the situation, so I can't say he was one thing or the other. But people will perceive he was he was he was of something else. If you understand yeah. what I'm saying. No, no, yeah. I I think there have been lots of uh, stories right. kind of hinting at right. that that right. possible racism there yeah. from Rip, yeah. So. so I you know I don't I don't I can't I can't I can't put anyone that has helped so many people you know, succeed. I mean, he's given me an opportunity along with the heirs and family to, uh, to provide for my family and for myself and, and for my kids, hopefully to be able to provide for their, their family, you know? And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I take anything that anyone say about him very seriously. Uh, you know, he's an extreme, he's a, he's a great leader, a bright man, um he is he is i mean he is loyal as you'll find yeah and 
if if you get on his good, if if you're with him, you're with him, and if you're against him, you're against him. Right. And I'm one that'll say I always be with him. I, I pray to God that I'm always with him. Yeah. Because um, you know, I enjoy I enjoy speaking with him. I enjoy listening to him talk. I enjoy having debates about talent, and and I even enjoy talking about you know political views and and the views of the nation right now. You know, it's um, it's really sad that what's going on and. You know, like so many people have said, I've read so many articles. I, I don't watch a lot of news, but I read a lot. Uh, and what's been said, you know, it, it's true. It, this has been happening for for years and years and years, but now it's it's being seen. And um, you know, in that regard, you know, the only thing I would say is that I haven't heard anyone speak of the golden rule you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm in an interracial marriage. I, I, my wife, she's Mexican, Lebanese. And my boys are African-American, Lebanese, uh, Mexican, Lebanese. And, you know, you, you fill out the census. I felt, you know, you go and you fill out the census. There's not even a, a you can't even put that slide. You can't even put that on, on, on a census uh, report. Right. But, you know, Treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good people, and there, there's a lot of bad. But everyone is, you can't say everyone, everyone aren't the same. Everyone is not the same. You know, everyone aren't, people aren't the same. So I don't know how I got to this, but um, I, I'll get back to Coach Riley. When he came in, it was, it was discipline. Um, it was uh, it was known that we were expected to win. He was expecting to win, and he was going to do whatever he could to build a winner. And I'm fortunate to say I've been a part of three championship teams with him, and we're building for another here. Part two of my interview with Keith will be airing later on today. Make sure you check that out. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of Locked on Heat as soon as it's out. I'm David Romel signing off, and thank you as always for your support. Yeah! Um.